Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I analyze the second trailer for Star Wars The Force Awakens, dissect the current run of Avengers and New Avengers with a generous side helping of infinity from Jonathan Hickman, remember Herbie the Fat Fury by Richard Hughes and Ogden Whitney, talk the first week of Convergence, eulogize Herb Trimpey, and much, much more in this two-plus-hour podcast. Show notes, not slow moats or stow boats, are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan. Hello. Hi, you're very upbeat. Yes, that's because I want to kill you, Graham McMillan. <laughs> Wait, why? What? 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 No. What? Sorry, huh? I like you a lot, but um, perhaps you may... First off, listeners, greetings. Welcome to perhaps the last episode <laughs> of Wait What? What? What have I done? Well, as I recall, a few weeks back, not the Baxter Building podcast, but our previous Wait What podcast. Was I supposed to send you something or something they didn't? You, you, Graham McMillan, said something to the words that I'm paraphrasing roughly. I'm tempted to assign you homework and make you read all of Jonathan Hickman's Avengers because I'm <laughs> relatively sure it wow. will destroy your life. Wow. So you did that then? I did. I read 50-some-odd fucking issues because what happened was I made it maybe as far as, like, issue 10 in New Avengers The when I first had Marvel Unlimited, kind of a, uh, how do I feel about this? Maybe farther, maybe 13 or 14. And then it was like, uh, you know, I got distracted I, with I, other I stuff. I feel about this, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so then I, I, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know – you're like, oh, Mr. Homework. So I'm like, all right. So I start reading fucking New Avengers. I, I figure I'll just read the New Avengers stuff because that's the stuff that seems really depressing and is the main blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, but then at some point, you only get so many issues into that before the Infinity crossover hits. And then I'm like, fuck. So I start reading the Infinity thing, and then I'm like, I should probably just read the Avengers. So basically, I was like, okay, I'll just read the Avengers and New Avengers and Infinity. And when I get to the end of Infinity, I'll go right into New uh, New Avengers and ignore Avengers. And then, like, maybe three issues after that, there's an issue where the recap page is like, don't read this without having read, like, uh, Avengers 28. And at that point, I'm like, I've got to go back and read another four. Anyway, so I read them all. I did what I did what they wanted. Everything on the Marvel Unlimited app, all six issues of Infinity, all 26 issues of New Avengers, all 30, 24 issues of New Avengers, 36 issues of Avengers. I read 66 issues as homework for you. I'm glad you did that. Good job. Gold star, Jeff Les. Okay, great. Now, moving on to other topics. No, 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 no. I did not realize this episode would start with you hating me because I said your homework and you did it. You know, the worst part was at a certain point, as Edie pointed also, out, you I, didn't I've really assign me it. What's since that? Then. What's that? 
I've talked to you so many times, like, since that episode. Oh, <laughs> you've yeah, not brought no. this up once. It's like, you've been storing up all of your madness until yes. now. Well, because I think the majority of it was really read uh, since the last time we talked, let's say. Let's put it that way. So, honestly, there's not there's been very little. Uh, in fact, when I wrote the uh, the piece for the capsule reviews for last week, it was a little bit of like, Jesus, these are the only things that I've read that are not Jonathan Hickman's fucking Avengers. So, um, I love how you call it fucking Avengers and fucking new Avengers. Marvel is going to adopt that. You know that, right? <laughs> that would be great. Fucking Avengers max. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Avengers world, baby. So, um, Greg, do you feel like talking about this? I promise not to swear at you and spit at you I, and blame I'm... you. Here's like I'm super curious why I sent you that homework because I honestly don't remember. <gasps> Did I send you the homework to depress you? Yes, you kind okay. of you were you were kind of like we were talking something about like grim comics or depressing stuff, and you were like, oh, okay. speaking of depressing, well, you Jesus Christ, shouldn't have read it then. Come on, if I if I basically say you should read these because they depress the shit out of you, then don't read them. He's gone. I I can't I I actually could not speak or breathe from the caval the, the the various cavalier like oh wait, you probably wait, just wait. not read it I just assigned it to you because I don't like you you don't have to read them are you telling me I can assign you anything and you'll have you feel compelled to no, do it no don't do it so <laughs> hey listeners we should abuse this power no. Um, I, I invite all of you in the comments no. to suggest things. Stop. <laughs> no. I'm editing this all out. This is not showing up. It's backfiring badly, Jeff. Fuck. Well, we should talk about happy things, because I realize... No, 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 no. Do, do you want to talk about Avengers? Well, yeah, okay, sure. I mean, part the thing that's hilarious is, is before getting on Skype and all that stuff. I checked Twitter like maybe two minutes before. And of course I realize this is probably the first time in, in months that people on my Twitter feed have been happy across yeah, the board. Cause, Cause that star Wars trailer is great. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. I don't know. I, I guess there's... Oh, it, it, it gave me, it really did give me the oh, star Wars. <laughs> I, 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 I genuinely, genuinely, like was just verklempt when uh, Harrison Ford appeared. Oh yeah, I think I really was, sure. and I, I have no idea why. Because it's not like it was a surprise that he was in the film. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But just something about it, I was honestly like, "Oh, it's Han Solo." <laughs> oh, do you know what I mean? Right. Like I really, really, I, I mean, the rest of the trailer is great. I think the two trailers they've done for it so far have been just really well done. Yeah, they, they have done everything you could want them to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, Harrison Ford showed up and honestly, I was just like, I am, I am that kid of like three years old again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is where each difference kicks in. I, yeah, exactly. You, Cause you, you were, you, I seem to remember you were not massively into the original and just didn't like any of the sequels. You know, it's, I was actually really into the original. Uh, and then, uh, you know, oh, no way you burnt out of it somewhere terribly. Where was it that you were into it? And then, yeah, I, I don't know where it was. Was it Return of the Jedi? That you were just like, I'm done. You know, honestly, it, on the podcast. And I honestly don't remember. What yeah. 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 Of. 
yeah, we did, we did talk about it. I, it, it, it's okay. The thing that's ironic is I, I saw Return of the Jedi like on opening day and I walked out going, it's great. It's the best of the three movies, which my brother will continue to taunt me about until literally I'm What's on my favorite? deathbed. I expect that will be the shoots. first thing. See, you just, you just. Best of the movies? Like, I've got no problem with you loving it, but the best of okay, the Okay, Graham. On what age were opening you? day, I was 15. I was in the, in the theater with my girlfriend. It was, it, it clearly, I mean, this is what I'm saying. I walked out of there saying it's the best of the three. It's clearly not. And, and this is, and I realized that probably within, hours. I'd like to say 72 <laughs> hours. Yeah. But it was, it was probably, you know, I was a slow teenager, just like I'm a slow adult. So it was probably like six months. I was like, huh? Cause it was really that thing of like, you see Star Wars 15 times, you see Return of the Jedi, like, I don't know, eight times. And I saw Return of the Jedi once. And I was like, why aren't I going back why aren't i going back now admittedly there's that whole horrible even back then as a teenager i was a little uh disappointed by the the um the the story we um dodge in empire strikes back uh, of darth vader being being luke's dad because i was kind of like oh really but you know but that's that that's probably just me um that's like that's also uh an age thing because you say that and i was Oh God, six, seven when the right. first Strikes came back. So on, you're like Story Dodge, and I'm like, what are you talking about, Jeff? That's the fucking that's what it all revolves around. That's not Story Dodge. That's epic. No, absolutely, and I and I see the point on it. I absolutely do. The way that I was going had a much much more soppier arc on it. Because seriously, I was enough of a Star Wars fan to pretty much think about the next movie. Every day over during, you know, in between the three or four years that it took them to make really? it, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah between uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi? Yes. Uh, no, it, uh, be- Star between Star Empire. Wars and Empire Strikes Back, yeah. That's so funny because I don't think... I don't think I thought about them at all, if that makes sense. No, it like, makes I, sense. I Graham, you were three. You had, like, other things on your yeah. mind, like kindergarten. No, but I'll, but also, know. like, I remember uh, between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, I didn't really think about it until the promotion for Return of the Jedi started. Mm-hmm. And I, But I remember really, really, really clearly um, being excited when it did start. Right. Like, being irrationally excited when it did start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, which, which makes sense. I mean, and again, uh, the, the other thing is, is that, you know, I was buying the star Wars comic from Marvel, you know, mm-hmm. like I had every issue of that, uh, up until the empire strikes back. And that was the point where I kind of went like, there was just something about that, like everywhere where the guys in Marvel thought that they were going and I was more or less on board and where Lucas decided to go were so clearly opposed to each other that it kind of, there was a little bit of dissonance breaking. I really have to say like, maybe it's for the best, but I really have to say if there's any franchise, if there's, if there's ever been any fan icon that has taught me not to trust a franchise it's star wars you know oh, so, yeah, i can i can totally see that I yeah totally see that. so um so you know i so i saw this trailer and i was like oh it's it you know it it ha- it has all the right moments and and that's what i think is interesting about like everyone 
taking the trailer so well is there's kind of a little bit of relief as in like we are going to get the perfect amount of fan service. You know what I mean? Like it just mm-hmm. really – Well, that that's what I really, really like about mm-hmm. the trailers because the – I mean this one especially is so fan service mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like just – Jaw-droppingly fan service mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It has all the fan service moments. Yeah. yeah. I, but does it in such a way that it feel, doesn't feel just like fan service? Yeah. And this is where I, I, I have to say, if it, you know, and which I know I've discussed on other podcasts, if it, if it hadn't been for Star Trek Into Darkness, I would be so much closer to being able to embrace that. But oh, yeah, I, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, my, my feeling is honestly... I think I said this on Twitter, like, the film might suck, but the trailers are perfect. Right. And the tra- yeah. And, exactly. and I think I'm kind of prepared for the film to, yeah. if not suck, then definitely not be anywhere as good as the trailers. Right. Whereas, whereas for me, and I mean, I liked it fine. I really did. But it was nothing, like, and again, this may just be a, an age difference thing or just whatever, but like, that's how I felt about the Mad Max Fury Road trailer. That, that came out a few weeks back like mm-hmm. that which was. which again wonderful trailers yeah absolutely just just, just great trailers yeah. i and so i'm kind of fascinated and i actually pitched a story for the hollywood reporter and i've not heard back yet but um talking about what we expect from trailers now mm-hmm. because you've got the mad max trailers which are visually just amazing but tell you nothing about the plot of the film yes nothing You've got the Terminator trailer that came out this week that mm. literally ruined the film's big twist mm. in the trailer. Mm. Ugh, ouch. Um, you've got the uh, Avengers trailer, mm-hmm. and this week it came out that uh, the mystery, mysterious woman in the Avengers trailer isn't even in the film. <laughs> like, she's so unimportant that they cut that scene entirely. Wow. Um, and then you've got the Star Wars trailers, mm-hmm. which, again... It's, it's it's much closer to Mad Max because mm-hmm. it's all visual, and it's not just all visual; it's all visual keying off of your nostalgia. Yes, all, both of them so far. Yeah, uh, and I can't even imagine what it's like if you've not seen the original Star Wars, mm-hmm. because everything is so calculated mm-hmm. in those trailers to go. It's Star Wars, you guys. It's Star Wars. Remember, it's not the prequel Star Wars; it's the real Star Wars. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um. But yeah, I, I feel the trailers are at this really weird fragmented point right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where you either get too much information or not enough information, but either can work as long as you do it well. Yeah, uh, yeah, I suppose. I was actually very – I actually stopped watching the Mad Max uh, trailer because I was afraid that it would give away too much. Like it was like 20 or 30 <laughs> seconds in or <laughs> Wait, something. Nothing. Well, I know, but it's like a two-minute trailer. I was just like, okay, no, they're going to give away oh, no, no. something. Yeah, they really haven't. And there's been like a – there was another one they released yesterday, which is spectacularly a trailer for the new Mad Max film. It's two minutes long, and a minute 30 is actually clips of the earlier Mad Max films. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, interestingly enough, I, I mean, I at least walked out of Fury Road being like, okay, I've got some ideas to the story. I mean, sure, but but really vaguely. Like you, have, you also have some ideas to the Star Wars story. Do you know what I mean? You're like, okay, there's a, clearly a bad guy. These are clearly the heroes, right? You know, I they're going to come in conflict. I've seen enough Star Wars that I understand that you know it's going to be 
uh, a, a disguised class struggle. <laughs> well, it is. Star Wars is kids from the streets mm-hmm. challenges and eventually overthrows authority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's massively, massively submerged in hey spaceships. Yes, uh, and you don't really get the. It, it's not. It's a class struggle uh, only so far. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like they'll never actually address. Although, if you leave George Lucas in for long enough, he probably eventually would have tried to say something about class. Um, but it is. It's that you know that mucky young pup who no one ever thought would amount to anything. They yes. turn out to be the most por- important person in the universe. That's right. That's that's, right. that's the, the science of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is true of Fury Road. Like, you can look at Fury Road and you're like, okay, well, he's Mad Max. And Charlize Theron is clearly, like, she is being threatened by scary dudes. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I can guess some of what's going to happen. Well, okay. So I could I could entirely be wrong. But it seems like after watching that first, after watching the full Fury Road trailer, I feel, and I could be mistaken, that I'm relative, that... It's going to open. Max is on his own. He's going to get captured and subjugated by the bad guys uh, who have the brides as their slash his personal property. Um, and Charlize Theron is going to make off with the brides. And Max, still in tow as a captive, is going to be dragged along for the hunt for them. And then at some point... He gets free and is able to um, to to help them escape. You know, interesting. I, I maybe you're right. Well, uh, I, I right. I I kind of hope I'm not because that again I had that feeling of there was too much in that trailer that made me think like okay that's the setup for this story. You know, the the Star Wars thing is pretty brilliant because it because it can play so much with iconography. You know, um, and that's it, all it's doing. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, you've seen the trailer today, right? Yes. Yeah. And the trailer today really is—is is that the Millennium Falcon? Right. You know, that's a star destroyer. Is right. that the Millennium Falcon? Are they on board a Death Star? <laughs> like that—that's all it is. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean that, and kind of uh, like wait. So you know, there's kind of that feeling of. Are the stormtroopers, are they are going they to the be good guys? Are they the new rebellion and what does that mean? Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. So, but yeah, yeah it, it's, I, I don't know. I just, I, but I loved it. I lo- I thought it was a great trailer. And I think the, the Mad Max trailers are really good as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is I, uh, saw someone tweet after they'd seen the Avengers movie. Um, it's much more fun than the trailers. And my first thought was, oh, that's great because the trailers made it look terrible. <laughs> like the trailers did not make it look like fun at all. No, no, no. They really didn't. They and really and didn't. I, I feel that the Avengers trailers – and I totally see how people are excited for them. Mm-hmm. But they just make it seem exhausting to me. Mm-hmm. Exhausting and no fun. Like I'm not a film I want to see. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I just sort of – I guess. And it's like the, the Ant-Man trailers are just terrible. <laughs> Like the first one was just downright bad, mm-hmm. but the second one, I everyone just feels like they're I don't know overacting or like there's something weirdly camp about all their performances. Yes, yeah, uh, I think that's probably true. It, like there's something weirdly arch 
Mm-hmm. It, it, it's like everyone is saying their lines in it in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and just just makes it look an incredibly unpleasant film. Huh. Yeah, like, like a, a film where it's like, oh, I get it. Everyone's everyone thinks they're better than this. That's so funny. I don't. Mm, that's funny. I did not get that impression at all. Although maybe it is. It is possibly. I mean, it seems pretty likely considering it's Ant Man. You know, but I mean, that's, like, there's even the, the like. There's now been two in each trailer. There's been two separate jokes about the name. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, oh god, <laughs> is that your running joke from the film? That your character, like, the main character's name is dumb. <laughs> Because that's like that's not great. You're, that that seems like a really bad idea. Well, well, does that not just seem exhausting to you to watch a two-hour film and they're like, "Hey, I'm that man." Oh, I know. <laughs> you know, I. So my problem, my problem is just more the fact that it looks like a huge mess. You know, I it, honestly. More than anything, everyone looks like they're in different films as well. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the big problem. Is is to me, I I really believe they basically, which is amazing considering how ridiculously confidently they um, marketed Guardians of the Galaxy, and yet I feel behind the scenes they got very cold feet. And we're kind of like we can't, we we can't we can't risk these. We can't do any more of these quirky movies. We can't, you know. They sort of were like, what? "Well, what's super interesting is the the scuttlebutt is the opposite." Well, I think the scuttle. Well, unless I'm wrong, I'm assuming the scuttlebutt is is that once Guardians came out and broke big, they were like, "No, no, 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 no. Sorry, let's dodge back in that direction." Yes. Yeah. So, so, so the the rumor is. Mm-hmm. That um, everyone in Marvel was shitting themselves over Guardians. Was mm-hmm. was really, really, really worried that it was going to flop. Yes. Um, and that's when the cold feet about Edgar Wright's take yeah. set in. Uh, and then Guardians opened massive and went on to become massive, massive. Yeah. By which point, Edgar Wright's been given the heave hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had the problem of finding a replacement, and they eventually got paid and read. Uh, and they've rewritten the script twice by that point. Uh, and the story is that the reshoots that happened were essentially putting Edgar Wright's bits back in. Yeah, I think I, I've heard that. And it 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 can it feels in the trailer like they're like, no, 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 no. We've, we're gonna. It's this is going to be a wacky offbeat movie. But they honestly, as far as I can tell, don't have anything wacky and offbeat apart from well, like, hey, his name's Ant Man. Waka waka. You yeah, know? and the train gag. The train gag. Was oh like, right. Yeah, yeah was yeah. like was a cute bit. Yeah. Um, but. Just, I don't know. There's something about everything I see about that film just makes me think, oh, this is <laughs> this is not good. Mm-hmm. Like, the, this might actually be the flop that everyone thinks it's going to be. Yeah. Because, you know, I think everyone thought that Guardians was going to be a flop until they saw the trailer. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, okay, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> they seem to know what they're doing. Whereas this one is like, you can feel the flop sweat on the trailers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because, again, there's there is a... Um... Because because it was that idea. Guardians had a brilliant trailer, and that trailer is – and I think this is sort of like what you were sort of saying with, with Hollywood Reporter pitch is 
Essentially, as long as the trailer is able to convince you that it has a vision, um, no uh, Age of Ultron exactly. pun yeah. intended, uh, you know, then then that's that's the biggest part of the battle right there. Yeah, that's just that trailers are essentially contracts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like if it, if a trailer can convince you that the movie knows what it's doing, yes, then you buy into it. Well, but what I think is fascinating is is that is I would have to say a relatively new development. I yes. could could yes. be wrong, but I definitely no, I, feel I totally I totally yeah. agree. I totally agree. You know that that we've had so many movies that have. Essentially, a little bit of everything that you could convince, you know, back in the day when you're like, no, this is going to have action. Everyone's like, well, Jesus, of course it's going to have fucking action. It's got a superhero in it. What does it really have going for it? And that's, and, and I think that's the same with, with all of these other things. As long as you can convey that there, there's a vision there. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's, it's really interesting in that, in that sense, how things have changed. You know, and I don't know, you know, the thing that's ironic is, is part of me is, I mean, I think that really is why so many people were sold from that very first trailer on Star Wars. It was kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. He knows. Exactly. I, I get his vision. His vision is it's Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But I, I honestly think that's what it is. I think the reason it's so successful and the reason everyone's on board when, it almost feels like they shouldn't be on board. Do you know what I mean? Like, of all the things that is so beloved mm-hmm. that people just don't want it to fuck up, mm-hmm. you think Star Wars would be top of the list. And then as soon as the trailer came out and I was like, it's okay, you guys. It's like the 1970s Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Everyone mm-hmm. was like, oh, right. okay then. Right. So and that tells people talking about movies. Well, so this is my. I, I unfortunately thought of the unnatural segue of like. So speaking of books with vision, let's talk about Jonathan Hickman's Avengers. <laughs> yes, let's because we were starting that before we could completely sidetrack. Well, so I, I, I'm going to guess, yes. Jeff, that you didn't like it. You know, it's really funny. So I think it's really funny. Is like, it funny or is it just going to be tragic? No, well, I, I mean, this is my life, so <laughs> like, really, comedy, it's, it's one masquerading so t- as yeah. the other. Yeah, they exactly. are so tightly connected; <laughs> they're just right next to each other. I, uh, um, like yesterday when I was like trying to power through so many of these things, um, so I could try and get this all read by the time we talked. Uh, Edie would come in and like just be like, so. Are you at lunch? And I'm just like, ah, can't you say I'm trying to read this stupid comic book? You know, like I was just so fucking irritable. Um, <laughs> Again, why did you not just stop? Well, okay. Well, there's a, well, there's a couple of reasons, Graham. One, first off, you were a terrible person and you assigned it to me as homework. Uh, Again. I'm a good and dutiful person. So the thing, but also the thing that I think is very interesting to me is, is that Hickman has, um, he's, he's doing, I don't know, some percentage higher than 50% of what I want from a, a superhero comic. And it's almost in that way that 
this, the parts that he has that I don't want or that I'm not interested in are, are really painful. You know, there's also a lot of the ways in which I kind of had to sit there and be a little bit like, um, that as, as you know, Graham, I tend to skew a little darker in my tastes, I think. And I think you tend to skew a little lighter, just sort of a general, general, you know, generalization, not a hundred percent true. There's certainly places where we split on that, such as, you know, house of cards or whatever. But, but as a general rule of thumb, there's a lot of stuff that I like that is pretty dark and bleak. Um, the things that I find fascinating slash troubling, well, the thing that I find let let me break down the the parts that are really interesting to me about Hickman's material is, you know, both Avengers and New Avengers start on with these you know heavily sort of grim undertones. Uh, Avengers for sort of uh, less obvious reasons. Then, of course, as the stories progress and you realize how much you know, Avengers is operating as a cover for Tony Stark's plans that he's in the process of trying to deal with in, in new Avengers. Uh, people, I, I'm going to do the context thing, which is basically also tremendous amount of spoilers. So I, you know, apologize. Well, or by, by, you're point, these comics are relatively old. Well, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. They they definitely go back. I mean, it's amazing considering the shipping schedule. I mean, it goes schedules. like 2012, right? Right. I guess so. 2012, 2013. I mean, it must be. I mean, I can't really tell because there's that feeling of like, well, there's 36 issues, but I, I don't know if they, if they were still double shipping Avengers at that point. It's a ridiculous number of comics in a short amount of time. So in Avengers, you have... Um, Hickman starts off the, the issue with, with Tony Stark and Steve Rogers essentially coming up with the idea to take Avengers and build it bigger, to make it an enormous cog works, to be able to pull in all kinds of heroes, to be able to deal with big, big, massive threats, that they're, that they're more of a, um, I guess, more of a cosmic related proactive uh, force than a we're going to sit around until someone breaks into the mansion to take revenge on us, you know, kind of thing, which of course you and I are quite familiar with as Avengers storylines go, Graham. Um, meanwhile, over in New Avengers, it comes out that the Illuminati have, refor- have reformed uh, to deal with the threat of these universal incursions in which how do I, how in which basically Hickman has plot hammered everything such that earths are going to uh, various multiverses across the multiverse, various universes come into collision always at the focal point of earth. When the two come together, there's only a period of about eight hours before if both worlds collide, they're, both destroyed as well as the universes within them. If one of the earths is destroyed, there's no, um, the phase point is clear and both universes are allowed to live. In addition, there is a very, so as the new Avengers storyline progresses, the Illuminati have various tools at their disposal, not 
you know, the biggest of which is the Infinity Gauntlet, uh, which they use um, with limited success the first time to sort of throw off, uh, to, to prevent two Earths from colliding. But then there's also other events that keep happening as more incursions begin to happen and they start coming faster and faster. The various members of the Illuminati find themselves more or less uh, against their will, considering options, um, sort of the lesser of two evil options, which include ways to uh, destroy the destroy one Earth or the other in order to save, you know, countless trillions of lives. Um, is this a really boring recap? Am I, am no, I no, 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 no. This, this all makes sense. It, okay. It's it's interesting when you bring it up like this, like. It just brings back some of the many problems I have with the, the logic of the of the story. Yes. Um, well, l- let me finish the sort of the the recappy type thing, hopefully relatively quickly. One of the things that we find out in the course of things is is that there are different types of incursions, and instead of the classic red skies crisis incursion where the two planets are going to collide during a blue incursion. The map makers show up, which are these um, strange, crazy, super robotic entities that are there to basically lay claim to one of the planets and destroy it themselves, I guess, if I'm remembering correctly. So there, for New Avengers, there's a number of times in which essentially the Illuminati, as as although they are prepared... You, they want to believe they are prepared to make the hard choice of destroying a whole entire parallel earth are that decision is taken out of their hands. They don't have to make that choice for a couple of different reasons of things going wrong, either planets that are already more or less wiped out that the map makers wipe out, you know, a variety of functions. The infinity gauntlet works once and then explodes, blah, 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 blah. Um, Meanwhile, over in the Avengers, there is a massive incursion of strange robot-like entities, not the map makers, that are part of the whole, um, the makers who supposedly have constructed, are, are kind of the most, like Kirby's Eternals template mapped to the most boring visuals possible. So <laughs> you have a couple of different classes that serve the makers, um, and they, you encounter those in the very first Avengers arc when they're in the process of, they land on Mars and decide to start changing, terraforming Earth into an intelligent planet. And then later as the Avengers goes on, the, uh, the makers themselves decide that Earth has to be destroyed and begin the big event known as Infinity. Um, where they're in the path of basically making their way across the universe, destroying everything in their path with the goal of getting to Earth to be able to destroy it because it is the focal point of the the entire death of the universe that seems to be happening. Meanwhile, uh, in the Infinity event, Thanos and his various um, generals are in the process of trying to... Um, you know, basically be terrible people and also find Thanos' various sons that are spread across the universe and kill them. And their big goal is to come to Earth, which happens to be in its way much more unprotected than usual because all the rest of the Avengers are over fighting a big, huge cosmic war. Um, that's the Infinity Event. And then splitting out of that, 
oh my god, I'm so tired, and it's only like <laughs> that's like two thirds of the way. Yeah, through. Exactly, you're not you're like halfway through the the run. Yeah, exactly. So past that, we have situations where Captain America, who was mind wiped, a la um, Batman and Identity Crisis, uh, to stop the because he did not feel that. Uh, he wasn't going to allow the Illuminati to essentially develop the tools that would save the Earth because they would essentially be falling under the whole necessary evil and then just end up being evil. They grab him, mind wipe him. He ends up remembering as a result of the events of Original Sin, confronts Tony Stark about it, who's pretty much the, the ringleader of the Illuminati. It's kind of an Avengers versus Avengers split. And then just as things are heating up, the time gem, which was the only one of the gems, it's not so much that it managed to survive being destroyed when the Infinity Gauntlet was destroyed, turning back one of the uh, the, the Earths, but more the fact that in its destruction, uh, it, of course... Um, shattered across various parts in time. So because Captain America is there when that gem shatters, it shows up umpty umpt issues later, grabs him in a small bump group of Avengers and throws them 50, then 500, then 5,000, then I think 50,000 years into the future. Uh, at, at which point Cap has to encounter various futuristic factions, all of whom are trying to tell him to do various things, both not only towards the future jumping forward points of uh, the next iteration of Earth that he encounters, but also how to handle the whole incursion, everything dies, how to deal with Tony Stark and the Illuminati, who he considers at this point to be villains. Um, and then meanwhile, I'm trying to think what's happening over <laughs> New Avengers. Meanwhile, well, new over Ava- New Avengers, you've yes. got, uh, the fake Justice League showing up, the Great Society. That's right. Um, and the, that shows that they have basically found ways to get around incursions that doesn't involve destroying other planets. Yes. Um, the New Avengers and the Great Society clash, upon which it is shown that Doctor Strange has essentially sold his soul, except he didn't have a soul to sell, but somehow he is somehow sold out in a greater way and now uses Lovecraftian magic. That's right. Uh, and has become a full-on bad guy. Because that fight is lost essentially by both sides, Namor is then forced to actively destroy another Earth. He's the only one who actually can bring himself to it. it, it the yes. detonation process... At at the moment of it, all these various figures uh, essentially cannot bring themselves to pull the trigger, and Namor being Namor can. They are the new Avengers are then so distraught over this that they disband, and when the next incursion is is coming because they get an advance alert, they just decide that they're not going to do anything about it. They're just going to surrender and be destroyed. Only nothing happens. It turns out that nothing has happened because Namor has formed a supervillain team version of the Illuminati who are gleefully going to destroy the other Earths. Yes. And fortunately for Hickman, I have to say it's one of those moments where by bringing in Thanos and Thanos's generals again as members of Namor's cabal, I was kind of like, oh, I guess there was a reason for that whole Thanos storyline 
yeah. in Infinity anyway. Sure, sure of. there was. No, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. What that that's yeah. okay. So I think we're pretty much caught up on all the plot. Yes, right? I think so. Is at least as far as if you're reading it on Marvel Unlimited as I yes. have, and I assume Graham is. So yeah. Um, I mean, they've gone into the time runs out story, but I I'm fine with just cutting it off there as yeah. opposed to doing the time runs out story. Yeah. Um. The, my biggest problem, and I've said this before about Hickman in general, is that Hickman's stories only make sense if you're willing to cut him a lot of slack. Because they're literally stories that just exist of, and then this happens because it happens. Yes. Because yeah. he never actively, he never actively justifies any of the decisions that are made by characters. He'll say they were forced to do it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I guess they were forced to do it. But he'll never actually show an alternative yeah it's a i feel feel like everything jumps to like the it happened because it happened yes a lot a a, a tremendous amount i mean my my first objections as listeners may recall when i had only read like maybe the first three or four issues of new avengers was that it just seemed like really ungainly plot hammering the idea yeah and that continues throughout the entire run yes Interestingly enough, one of the things that I find fascinating with Hickman is, as you said, one of the big problems that happens is the the concept of whatever, yeah, whatever happens has to happen. Like, this is very much, I feel in some cases, well, let me, let me walk that back a little bit. The other thing that I find is a huge problem is, is that Hickman has... It, it is on top of this, it is the only way that Hickman's stories progress, and this is something that I complained about that, that also remains to be true, is not only that the characters do what they do because the plot says it, but they also, and this is the thing that always drives me nuts, they don't really ever challenge anything um, that is put forward. One of the things... as Graham mentioned there is a point where the Justice League analogs and the Illuminati confront each other as the two worlds are about to collide. And on the one hand, I thought the, the, this is where Hickman's sort of plotting worked quite well because only recently had the Illuminati been able to build a quote unquote bridge, which was a monitor that allowed them to see other events that were happening, other incursion events. So you actually have a few issues of buildup where you get to see the JLA, sorry, the Great Society act. And what helps is they are the Justice League, but they are also in a completely uh, unnuanced way as committed to the idea of hope and there's always a way to find, you know, to solve things um, as the Avengers, as the Illuminati have been kind of uh well, we want to believe it, but really we have to be realistic, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It's, it's and, and just to sort of go away from this for a second, something that really irritates me on a really basic level about new Avengers in particular Mm-hmm is the shorthand that being a genius or being smart means that you must also be pessimistic. There is no... And I I think this is true of Marvel in general. Mm -hmm. I think they're very eager to play the... He's a genius, therefore he's also a sociopath. Right. But 
Uh, and it seems to be that in modern Marvel, you can't be clever and, for example, a humanist or an optimist. Right. Yeah. Because you're too smart for that. Yeah. And there's something about that that is just staggering to me. But in, in New Avengers in particular, it's we've thought it through and therefore we might as well just give up. Well, on the on the one hand, I have my personal feeling is is that it's tough because Hickman stuff has never really floated my boat. Like I made it a few yeah. issues into Fantastic Four, which I thought seemed serviceable, but so derivative I didn't really want to bother. I've tried a little bit of East of West and the Manhattan Projects and stuff, and and I'm not. It's it's either a it re, that really is Hickman's worldview is is that he's kind of a very smart person who believes the world is fucked and everything that we're doing is essentially some version of fiddling while Rome burns, which is possible. There are definitely days when I look at the internet and feel that that is exactly and precisely how I, how I feel. And so one of the things that I think is interesting for me is, is that of in a certain light, Avengers, new Avengers, in which ridiculous amounts of energy are meant to either put one's head in the sand or preserve a status quo um, for no other reason than one is deeply afraid of whatever might come after that status quo is unfortunate. It feels weirdly like a very um, uncomfortably contemporary American feeling, you know, I don't necessarily, and that's probably not true for everybody, but at least for myself is, you know, as like a, a late middle-aged bougie dude, you know, with pinko tendencies, who is also kind of appalled at how much sort of seems kind of out of control, out of my own control. And the amount of time that I spend bitching and whinging about it rather than actively being um, an activist, you know, in the best possible sense of things, there's a weird way. And so this is the, as ang as, as, as frustrated as I am by Hickman's um, entire book, there's a way in which that premise feels it, it sits uncomfortably too well for me. You know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. so there's a way in which I'm like, this is this arguably is this huge, massive sprawling thing where this guy has something to say in a way that, that feels, like I said, uncomfortably like a very contemporary situation for life for some of us. The other thing that I find fascinating about it, though, um, is Hickman's failures, which are considerable, are A, he plot hammers, B, his character, he tends to cut away from action. I, I'm impressed at the number of times where an entire scene is spent building up to what's going to be a huge fight between like the Illuminati and the great society, like two issues of buildup. And then the, the issue ends as the fight breaks out. And then when you come back in, in the next issue, 
most of it's already over. You know, I mean, that's not entirely the case. There's a lot of big cosmic bang and boom, particularly in, in Infinity, which is ironic because it's at a scale that means almost nothing. Like, it's almost kind of, it's really dull. But mm-hmm. it's kind of got a distaste for confrontation, not just at the physical level, but his all of his confrontations of characters oh right so so in the great society there's this level of the 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 great society slash jla analogs represent hope they basically identify the illuminati as people like you're going to th- blow up our world you're basically bastards there's no reason why we should trust you and in the course of talking about it it comes out that there are three times that the JLA analogs have saved the planet. And the Illuminati are like, really? We've only seen two with our special hoobity-doo plot device. What happened the third time? And one of the characters says, we never talk about the third time. And you know what? It's just dropped. There's all this other confrontation. There's another oh, three but, pages but that happens, of confrontation. That happens all the way through. Yes. Think about it. You're, you're that far into the series and you still don't know why the infinity gauntlet got destroyed oh yeah right and that will never be explained you know that will never be explained well it got destroyed because it needed to be taken out we'll see exactly it gets uh, things things the thing that is interesting to me is the way that hickman hand waves and then explains this hand waving by more complex hand waving later on down the line as if it's like, no, 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 I know, believe me, I thought this through and I've come up for a reason to wave the hand 15 issues later. But it, it still doesn't – what I find fascinating is how it's – how comic books, superhero comic books, particularly the stuff from, say, the Silver Age or even the Bronze Age. Look at Jack, Jack Kirby, as I think we were talking about in this recent uh, Baxter building, you know, is – the master of a thin characterization, B plotting where he just gets tired and draws things to an end, and C just kind of disposable. He's the master of the hand wave. He will have characters manifest a power that have they've never manifested before, will never manifest again. <laughs> and if you give that an uh, just a moment's thought, give you, Jack Kirby an inch and he'll take a super powered mile. Jeff. He totally will, and I'm. But I'm always willing to forgive him about it for it because there's a number of things that he does. Like it, it's usually for a larger and larger sense of wonder. Um, what's fascinating is Hickman's composed this stuff on a mega multiversal scale in a way that would, you know, should make Mark Greenwald's ashes like vibrate in every copy of the Supreme Squadron Supreme trade paperbacks that they ended up in, you know, but at the same time, um, it, it, it feels unbelievably reductive. The yes. other thing that's amazing is nothing ever really progresses. Like new events happen as he basically rolls you know, the next random encounter event or the Avengers walk into the next level of his dungeon, essentially, you know, but there's never any sense that the characters progress at all, which is interesting considering it is a book about the quote unquote, you know, the new Avengers arc is about the corruption of a handful of heroes. And there is 
a, a potentially interesting way too far down the line moment where the beast basically turns to Bruce Banner, who ends up, you know, uh, recruited into all this and says, you know what? I've been thinking, what if the whole point of this is actually a spiritual test to see if we are just, if we can stick to any higher principles at all, you know, or if we're just animals who will do anything for our own survival, which, you know, he sort of says is like, well, you know, like you and I, we know a lot about our beastial blah, blah, blahs. That little moment aside, what's amazing in the new Avengers and the Avengers is no character essentially de develops, you know, Namer is making, it says exactly the same thing on page one, you know, page six, issue one of New Avengers that he's basically that says 24, 25 issues down the line. Mm -hmm. Everyone basically just says the same thing over and over and over again. Now, admittedly, part of this is really brought home by the fact that Hickman's First page gambit at New Avengers where Reed Richards is talking about how everything dies, this one page monologue that gets repeated ad all the yeah, infinitum. All the time. Unbelievable. It's, it's the point, Jeff. Oh, the point? Of course. And then there's the point then there's the part where the where he shows the various incursions, like as they look into the projectors, they see the various people and you see everyone make some variation of this speech. The speech is terrible in the first place and then it just yeah, continues to be terrible all the way but through. What's also very funny is the speech is, is there to be contradicted. Mm -hmm. The speech is there for the last minute turnaround. Do you not think? Uh, yes. Well, yes. yes. Well, yes no. I mean, well, you know that mm -hmm. one way or another, there's going to be a Marvel Comics after this. Yes, sure. Absolutely. So, like, so the the whole idea of like everything dies mm -hmm. is demonstrably false. Well, and this is the other thing that I find fascinating is to me, on the one hand, like. Like I said, there's the part of American culture, like I said, that this feels resonant with a sort of helplessness. And yet it, it is absolutely in a weird way, the completely wrong medium for it to convince. Because like you said, at a very deep level, you're like, well, these characters aren't going to die. Like, and in a sense, there's a way in which in theory, their corruption is supposed to be a scarier thought than their death but the but the fact is like you don't really believe that there can be either essentially you know and consequently i mean it feels like hickman has constructed essentially a 60 plus issue what if story you know the same way that issues of what if sort of had this similar kind of pessimistic downer attitude that was like, well, you know, kind of like, what if, you know, Robert Bruce Banner hadn't saved Rick Jones, but shoved Betty Ross into the gamma ray blast to protect them both. You know, there's always some sort of like departure point that is usually a kind of depressing, potentially off character moment. And inevitably it leads down the path to worse and worse things happening. And that's kind of what this feels like. It feels like, like I've, it, 
it's not just that the Great Society are Justice League analogs. The fucking Avengers are Avengers analogs in their own book. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they don't feel to me. There's so many times in sequences where I'm like, yeah, I can kind of see how a Tony Stark would say that on an Earth, but there's sort of a thing of where I'm so divested of interest in the characters that long ago, like long before Hickman ever got started, I was like, Meh, you know, hashtag not my Tony Stark. And so well, there's what's a lot also really funny, and you talking about this just reminded me. New Avengers and Avengers doesn't work in a shared universe. <laughs> like, just doesn't. Right. Because I, I can't believe that Tony Stark is off having other adventures while this is happening. Well, and this is the other you know thing I mean? that I it's, find, yes. Right. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's hilarious that, you know, these heroes know that this is going to happen. And we're also supposed to believe that Tony's also like, hang on, I've got to go and build Iron Metropolitan, uh, like Metropolitan. Yeah. Right. No, I, I, I've just because I've got other things to take care of. I'm, I'm just going to leave Earth for a bit and hang out with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Exa- oh you my know, God! Earth- when he's out in space, I was like, "What the fuck, people? There's no way that that makes any sense." You know? Um, yeah, absolutely. The thing that I loved was right after Infinity, there's an issue of Avengers, which in Marvel Unlimited has like literally a full page preview of Invaders Number One by James Robinson, and. The entire gist of that first issue contradicts everything that you end up seeing happening in Infinity. Like, for better or for worse, by the time you get to Infinity, you definitely feel like the Avengers' relationship to the Kree, the Scroll, the um, Imperium, uh, fuck, everybody short of the Brood and Annihilus is completely different is completely different like yes because like they're all like we've all been through this terrible thing yeah no they all pals now and then you read invaders and it's like apart from when we're invading you right apart from when we got to go back and get the special magic you know doodah that you guys disassembled in world war one and therefore we're just going to fuck you guys over at the orders of the guy that we literally saw six page er earlier in the previous comic you know, it's it's. Although, how to be said? Um, just pretending invaders doesn't exist is probably going to be much better. Oh, of course, of course. But I'm, no, I'm but like um, in general. But I'm amazed at the level to which Marvel editorial is like. Meh. I mean, and so here's the other thing: is Hickman. I'm fascinated by the way that Infinity feels to me like it was supposed to be one storyline, which is basically his, the Marvel, you know, the, the Avengers cosmic epic to end all Avengers cosmic epics, where it's like the Avengers and all the galaxy, all the dudes of the galaxy versus, you know, Jonathan Hickman's platinum dragons. And which sounds like an awesome name for a band, but is actually a (laughs) DV reference. And, uh, and you're just like, okay, why is the infinity thing in here? Why is the inhumans thing in here? And and only through Hickman's kind of elliptical, like, is it or isn't it kind of thing that you can even justify anyone's behavior in half of the event that he himself is writing that clearly editorial was like, we like this so much that we're giving you these three other points that we have to have happen in the the Marvel universe. That's how much we like you. 
<laughs> get Thanos no, I... in there and get the Inhumanity event launched. Yeah, yeah. It, it's... Well, that's just it. Like, you then look at Inhumanity happening basically at the same time as Infinity ends. Right. Um, and it's just, yeah, there, there's, there's so much that's just... Avengers and New Avengers make much more sense if you do think of them as being in a parallel alternate universe. Yeah. But even then, there's they, still so much about them that doesn't make sense. There's stuff about them that doesn't make sense when they uh, – against one another. There's just parts, huge drops in logic. And let's face it. It's – I think there's all sorts of other things that I was kind of appalled. I was amazed by how Hickman goes out – uh, like back when this series is getting underway, talking about sort of the difficulty and importance of putting characters of color and female characters into the Marvel books and how it's really tough because, of course, you've got the legacy, so you have to twist and bend. And so he spends ridiculous amounts of time crafting the the origin. I shouldn't say he really spends a lot of time considering it's basically just the green green lantern meets your iphone origin of adam smasher but she has she's got her origin issue she more or less has like maybe one line every four issues there's a point where in the middle of infinity captain america is like so how are you doing she's like well i think i'm falling in love with somebody he's like well great job on the timing there which you know and then later you see <laughs> Her and Sam Guthrie kissing, you've barely seen them in the same room. And then for, like, whatever it is, the jump eight months, you know, the the time runs out thing where she's had a baby on another planet. And I'm just like, Jonathan Hickman, what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? Like, this idea of, like, oh, it's very important that you create a strong female character, give her nothing to do, give her a love interest, and make sure she has a baby. But as long as she talks, like, she takes no shit... That's a valid female character. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, I was just like, that is a shitty, shitty move. And, and again, is that weird thing of Hickman is for a dude who spends, clearly spent a lot of time thinking some of this through, maybe not all the way, but came up with a big majestic mega plan that later when he couldn't quite connect the dots in the conception, he's like, eh, let me just, fudge this a little okay move to the next thing no one's looking but on top of that is just these weird assumptions not just about the characters that exist but the characters that he creates that are you know like really it was like oh yeah this is awesome they fell in love she had a baby you know on another planet but believe me she's ready to get back to earth and have adventuring it's like why did you just turn her into a baby maker? Like that's after that's what women are, Jeff. Right? Exactly. There's just that weird level of like, ah, man, we are just never going to get Stanley's pubic hairs out of Marvel comics ever, as far as I can tell. Jesus Christ. Anyway, comics. So, so what you're saying is you're totally on board for Secret Wars. Well, that's that's what I'm getting. You're going to be running out to the store. Yeah, right. When Secret Wars starts, and you're going to be like, "I'll put, I'll give you two hundred dollars a month for all the Secret Wars comics." Well, I say that, and I think it's actually above two hundred dollars. It is above two hundred bucks. Jesus, yeah. I believe it. What I'm what I'm kind of fascinated by is is that a 
it it seems it so it seems it seems like Hickman has laid a lot of groundwork for that Secret Wars event to happen quote unquote organically like you know none of none of this work is organic really at all but you know it's all heavily plot hammered but that being said it's all seems to be plot hammered to a point where it's like oh things are going to get wiped out like the incursion's going to happen this earth's going to get destroyed and then and then you're going to have battle world assembled from it and you're going to have this this bigger mega beyonder that is the that I'm willing to subscribe to Rich Johnson's theory that it is probably a de- deific Doctor Doom post. Oh no, that, that's that thing that's been done. Uh, I think uh, they've actually officially. Yeah, I think I think it's it's officially come out in the comics that that it's it's Doom who's been doing everything. Okay, because of because of course he has. Yeah, because of course he has exactly. Exactly. You know, I will say the one thing that I like the most about this, and it made me think like, hey, maybe I should pick up Manhattan Projects, is I, I kind of weirdly like the scientists of AIM Island. Like, there's a weird, like, I don't know what Hickman's background is, but he is actually far more into, in like a kind of venture brothery type way, this kind of like... Like, mad scientists that aren't really that mad, but kind of are such fuck-ups that they kind of have to blame what they're doing on madness kind of angle, you know? Like, <laughs> when, when you get to a point that they essentially are taken over in a, host, in a semi-hostile takeover by um, Sunspot, you know, and have basically been working with them ever since, I'm kind of like, oh, that's kind of brilliant. Like, I really did have that moment of like, Oh, that's, you know, the, the parts that weirdly felt the most organic uh, in, in this series were parts where AIM does something, fucks everything up, and then they're kind of like, okay, let's not look at it. Cause unlike the Avengers or New Avengers, excuse me, or New Avengers, A, it makes sense that that's what villains do, and B, that's what most people in their day jobs do. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh shit, we fucked that up. Okay, let's walk away, let someone else find it, and we'll just pretend like, mm-hmm, we didn't know about any Avengers coming in from the multiverse. You know, that that was the that was the one part where I was like, oh, I I thought this was pretty funny. I would, you know, I'm sure Jonathan Hickman has a great Aim Island miniseries in him that he will not get a chance to write because Marvel will never let him in a million years. So, um, Well, if you want the AIM Island series, Jeff, I think what you want to be reading is Avengers World by Nick Spencer. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I, you think I'm joking. I'm really not. Uh, I, a, tell me more. B, don't tell you more. No, I mean, A, tell me more, but B, prepared for me to be derisive because I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not on board the Nick Spencer train. I understand not being on board the Nick Spencer train, but the, the, the driving force of that series, uh, to date has been, again, to date on Marvel Unlimited terms because we're six months behind what's actually been published. Right. Um, has been AIM and AIM Island. Mm hmm. So it's 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 all done with Nick Spencerian glory. Well, I don't know. Maybe I'll check it out. Like I said, part of me 
dug it because it very much seemed like it was a Hickman thing. And so therefore it's sort of, I feel kind of like, really? Huh. But okay. Yeah, maybe. Sure. I, I have to say the Marvel Unlimited, I don't know how it is for you, but they, um, they up the, they released a new version for the iPad that has been pretty buttery smooth. Uh, before I, that was the other, yeah, that's, such that's a, dumb. no, uh, I'm so sorry. Because before well, I was going mind, through it this, took them, I want to say it took them like a year and a half or two years to even come out with an Android version. Right. Yeah. And so the idea that so, they'll be updated. I, th- I think, soon. yeah, I don't right. think they really care, to be perfectly honest. It's kind of a shame. Well, over on the over on the iOS, they, you know, before I had been having problems where essentially uh, the read next issue button was more or less like only lo- loaded the first three pages. So that was yeah. the other reason why I was incredibly cranky was I was trying to read, read these issues, having to save 12 issues at a time, you know, to download them to, to, you know, to view what's the term, um, the library. Yeah. Yeah. To put in your library for, for, um, God damn it. When you're not connected to the net. Offline use. So I would have to do that 12 issues at a time, then delete the 12 issues, then load the next. And of course, meanwhile, I'm just like, just get me through New Avengers. And every time there'd be another thing and I'd be like, motherfucker. And of course, it's not jumping from event to event. I swear, I literally had taken a screenshot of his little infinity flow chart. I used that more <laughs> I times than I wanted wouldn't to. Wouldn't Unlimited be great if you could actually read it in event order? Or yeah. storyline order? Wouldn't well, that be just... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, and they'll lump stuff under event, but then they don't, they won't let you, they don't... Yeah, then they're like, and also the problem with, uh, we're just into bitching about Marvel Unlimited now, uh, because the dates for some titles are just screwy. Oh yeah, that's a bad one. Because it also, it goes chronologically, but if yeah. someone has miskeyed a date, mm-hmm. then, mm-hmm. then you're out of luck. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 happened um, more than a few times too. So yeah. it was like, so in a way, part of me was like, well, I gotta save them. But yeah, that was ridiculous. On the other hand, as I'm sure you know, Graham, uh, for those people not paying attention, Marvel dumped something like 560 more, comics, more than, yeah. Star Wars comics, yeah. into the Marvel Unlimited app this weekend. Yes. Yep. So. Just just without telling anyone. And yeah. then on Wednesday, they were like, they're here. And best part is, they were like, they're here. And lots of people tweeted at me afterwards going, I can't find them. And they were totally there. Yeah. You had to search for them, but they were there. Well, it's, it's so funny that they're like, ah, we're, we're, they're there. We're not telling you. And then when they tell you, everyone's like, I still can't find it. They yeah. were really there. Yeah. They, well, I, again, I don't know if this was an, a, an app thing, but. You know, the, but they seem to roll it out by degrees. I was given the heads up by Matt Turrell, who was like, holy shit, who also said, ironically enough, and I haven't had a chance to test this if it's true, but like all the Dark Horse Star Wars comics loaded quickly like butter and all of Star all of the Marvel's original Star Wars comics bombed out while he was trying to load them. In oh, the I had the opposite uh, experience. Really? Yeah, I could read the Marvel ones. I couldn't get to the the Dark Horse ones. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so things are but, all over but the But for me, I was just assuming that was the glitch because the, the – I mean, bear in mind, I sideloaded an, uh, an Android app onto my Kindle. Yes. 
So it's always been fairly glitchy, but recently, like the Marvel Unlimited app, has been extremely glitchy. Mm, really it? problematically glitchy. Really? Well, it's time yeah. for you to get an iPad, Graham. Sure. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff and listeners, let me just tell you about some of what's happened since we last recorded. <laughs> so my family was in town. Oh, the last yeah. Days. They mm. went home yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, on Saturday, I went downtown to meet my family in the morning. And I took my phone with me because that's what you do, right? Right. So you can text and say, this is where I am. Mm-hmm. My phone recently had been having really bad battery problems. Oh, right. Like, I'd take it out and I'd, you know, I'd I'd be listening to an, uh, a podcast and I'd send an email and all of a sudden the battery would be dead. Oh, shit. Right? Mm-hmm. And it would be like 100% before that. So, that. so that was annoying, but I was like, maybe I need to update my OAS, you know. There's right. probably a reason, I think. So, Saturday morning... I'm meeting up with my family very, very early. Uh, and I'm like, I'm going to update the OAS now, just in mm-hmm. case it is that. <laughs> and I'm not going to do anything other than send these texts because I need to have this phone, otherwise I won't meet them. Right. Okay? So I update the OAS, I'm leaving the house, and my phone's 100%. That's great. And I'm heading downtown, and I get to where I'm going. And I send them a text, and I'm like, hey, this, this is where I am. Mm-hmm. You, sh- you should come and meet me. Where are you? And as I'm doing that, I see my phone go 100%, 90%, 40%. Like what? in front of my eyes. Right? Wow. And then I'm like, hey guys, my phone's dying. This is where I'm, this is where I'm gonna be. My phone might be dead. Like, so just don't try and call me, don't try and text, just come and find me. Right. 45 minutes later, they come and find me. <laughs> Going, <laughs> We were trying to text you, tell us we're over here. And I was like, my phone died. It totally died, you guys. My phone's power, like, my phone's battery lasted roughly 45 minutes. Oh. And I say to them, I should go to the Apple store, because this is not right. Like, yes. there's, there is something wrong with my phone. Okay? So, we do, I do stuff with my family. I go to the Apple store. See, and the Apple just, store people. Sorry to interrupt, but before you get here, because this is, this is the number one question I think anyone would ask. What model iPhone is it, Graham? iPhone 5. An iPhone 5. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Not a 5S, but a 5. No, just a 5. Okay. I go to the Apple store, and I go like, hey, so this happened. I've been having battery problems for a while. And the guy doesn't even blink. He's like, you've got an iPhone 5. And I was like, I do have an iPhone 5. Why do you say that? He's like, oh, iPhone 5 batteries are faulty. Uh, there was supposed to be a recall. Can I see your phone? And I give him my phone. And he's like, yeah, I'll be back in a minute. And he takes my phone away. Mm-hmm. And he comes back, sure enough, like two minutes later, super fast. And he's like, yeah, your battery's faulty, and we should have recalled your phone. Uh, so he was like, because we didn't, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a new battery, and we'll install it for free. What? Just give you a new phone? Oh, sorry. Wait, anyway, I'm keep not going. Yeah, sorry. Okay. We'll yes. give you a new battery. We'll install it ourselves. Uh, but it's going to take 90 minutes. I hope you've got 90 minutes to wait. And I'm like, I don't really have 90 minutes to wait. I'm kind of doing stuff with my family, but I'll go and catch up with them and tell them what's going on. And I'll come back in 90 minutes. Mm. And they're like, that's fine. Whatever. Like you wait here. Don't be here. We really don't give a shit. <laughs> We're going to replace the battery in your phone. So I go and I spend time, some more time with my family. Uh, and I said before, I was like, when I come back, am I going to have to wait? Or I'm just going to pick up the phone. They're like, We're literally just going to give you the phone. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you're, you'll be here five minutes. I was like, okay. So I say to my family, okay, I've got to go and get my phone again. But I'll be five minutes. I'll be right back. Go to the Apple store. And the person's like, oh, I've got your phone. Here's your phone. Look, it's, it's working now. And I was like, is it? And they're like, yeah, it really is. I know it says 23% on the battery. <laughs> but it is. It's totally working. Just uh, plug it in, recharge it here. Um, but it's not. you're not going to have that problem anymore. Oh, my God. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. So I text Kate. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I've got a new battery. This is great. And after I text her, I can't get back to the main screen. <laughs> right? I'm pressing the button. It does nothing. I say, I say to the person in the office, I'm like, hey, this is a funny story. <laughs> I, I give you my phone to change the battery. And now the buttons don't work. And the person goes, oh, no, that, we wouldn't have done anything to the, the buttons. That's nowhere near where we were. And I'm like, no, really, try it. And she tries. And she's like, okay, that, that doesn't work. And I'm like, I know. What's going on? And she's like, I, you know, it's probably just something I don't know about. I, I'll go and ask my boss. And she goes, and I see her, like, literally walk maybe five feet away. Mm-hmm. She says whatever she says to her boss, and she comes back, and this conversation has taken maybe a minute. Mm-hmm. And she comes back, she's like, we're going to give you a new phone. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, so what happened? And she's like, I don't know, but we're going to give you a new phone. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that, that's fine. And she goes, have you, have you backed up your phone recently? And I said, I don't know. And we checked, and I backed up my phone. It'd be fine. And she's like, this will take, this will take no, no time at all. And I was like, well, I've just got to go and tell my family that it's going to take a bit longer because they're waiting for me. <laughs> this oh, is supposed man. to take no time. Right. Um, I go and I'm like, hey, this is what's going on. You know, you, you kids, I can't, like, they're having a coffee or something. You, you take care of this. Um, and just come and get me at the store. I say. Mm-hmm. I was then in that store for another hour and a half. Because the restoration of my phone took that long. Oh my god. Oh my god. Well, I, yeah. So that's how I spent my Saturday. Wow. But while I was there, because I was waiting for a long time, mm-hmm. I, I did look at all the iMacs, uh, all the iPads rather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, look at these, these are probably great. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was that moment of, these are great, crossed with, I have just had such problems with my fucking phone. Yeah. Yeah. The part I never wanted to buy another Apple product again in my life. I, 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 as, as Graham knows, but most of the listeners do not, uh, Edie and I upgraded our, uh, phones, uh, in sort of a terrifying reverse gift of the Magi, um, situation. That was, yeah, both both of you thought that the other one wanted phones. Was it yeah, you wanted the phone updated, yeah. And frankly, I, I kind of liked my phone as it was, but I knew her phone was giving her a lot of grief. Um, and so I assumed she would actually want to upgrade, and we had the time. And, of course, she was like, I don't care because I, you know, I never want to update this stuff, and this is absolutely the last thing I want to do. So it turned out great, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, the, the punchline to this? Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to post on Wired, uh, we have like a, an authentication pro- process, mm-hmm. and because I changed my phone, it didn't recognize me. <laughs> it took me from Monday when I realized that was the case to mm-hmm. today, Thursday, when we're recording, to fix that. Wow! And wow. in the meantime, I was literally just emailing stuff to my editor, being like, "I'm really sorry, you guys." <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I would if I could, but apparently I can. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I cannot receive, um, I only receive about, uh, I don't know, like 40% of my texts. And Verizon insists that it's Apple's fault and Apple insists that it's Verizon's fault. And I've been in limbo for like four months now. And they're just like, no. And we have that thing of like, I, and Apple, I think Verizon is the one that as far as I'm concerned has done the due diligence. I've exchanged a lot of emails and texts with their support guys and they've explained at every step of the process why they think it's the case. And even though I had an Apple, like, I don't know, caseworker or whatever assigned to me, like it was only about three calls in where he made me try and do the same three things over and over again and was like, okay, well, we're basically convinced it's Verizon. And it's like, no, but what about your software? No, we're pretty sure it's not the software, you know? And it's like, no, but I think it is because they've got all this other stuff. Well, sorry, there's just no. And I'm just like, Oh, you dicks. Cause I can't, I really, I am at that moment. I'm like, I like my Apple products. I don't even want to leave my Apple products, you know, but I really have that thing of like, so I can't even threaten like, I'll, you, I, I'll talk shit about you now, you know, it's, and it's such a shame. It's such a ridiculous <laughs> I'll talk shame. shit about you using my iPhone. Right, exactly. I just won't be able hey, to text Apple, anyone about it. I hate you, but I will use my iPhone to tell <laughs> people. Yep. Oh. There goes there goes some barking. <laughs> um, no, I I should tell you we have uh, we're it, it's a beautiful day here mm-hmm. in Portland, mm-hmm. and so I did the thing that is always bad for the dogs barking, which is everything is open. Of course, of course. So of well, course yeah, the dogs are like, hey, well, come and hang out with you because you know you're around and we like your office. It's good sun. The only problem is then when anything happens outside, they're like, hey, let's right. bark, bark, and, and run down the stairs barking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although they're pretty good there, I thought. Yeah, that was very brief. Graham McMillan, post non-comic intermission. Maybe we should talk about some more comics. I can tell yes, you about I, a few I, other things. About I it, specifically yes. want to talk about something. Yeah, please. Herpy, because I said I was going to talk about Herpy this time. Oh, yes, right. You did. Um, And I finally realized the perfect analogy to describe Herpy to you. Okay, you've got to give a little more background. Maybe. Okay, Herbie is uh, we for for certain of our Patreon lis- uh, listeners, Patreon supporters. That's the word I'm going to choose. Yeah. Um, there is a level where people can suggest things that they want us to read. Yeah, uh, and Scott Ashworth suggested that we read uh, Herbie the Fat Fury mm-hmm. uh, by I believe the name is. Let me check. Richard Hughes. Uh, Richard E. Hughes and Ogden Whitney are the creators. And they're the creators for the entire run of the series. Wow. Um, and Herbie is an almost indescribable series. <laughs> Herbie's, Herbie is a, a comedy book mm-hmm. that ran in uh, either the very late 50s or the very early 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, 1958 through, it's probably going to be 1966, looking at the dates. Uh, 1958 through 1967. Mm. Um, intermittently for the first few years. It's like 58, 61, 63. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he eventually gets his own series. Um, Herbie is the world's most boring child uh, on the outside. 
He mm-hmm. is repeatedly referred to as a little fat nothing by his father. <laughs> because one of the running jokes is his father thinks his child just stays at home and does nothing and eats. And mm-hmm. it's such a disappointment. And and the, there's a formula for the Herbie stories. And the Herbie story formula is that Herbie will do something genuinely fantastic. Um, but his father will be unaware. Mm-hmm. And the end of the story will always be Herbie's father berating him for being dull. Um, and so Herbie's father repeatedly refers to him as a little fat nothing. Herbie is this, like, short, literally round child. Like... <laughs> Comedically fat to the point where he is literally round with legs, um, with a bowl cut haircut and very thick glasses and a very peculiar syntax. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, very, not even man of few words as in like man of maybe seven words in total. Mm-hmm. Um, who nonetheless has this secret life where he can do anything. I'm going to say he can do anything. He can do anything. He does whatever the plots demands of him. So he can travel in time. He can fly. He can talk to animals. Uh, he is, despite the fact that no one knows that Herbie can do all these things, like the president knows, for example, and the president will call on him to do stuff. And you get Jackie Kennedy being in love with Herbie because another of the running jokes is all of these beautiful women are massively in love with Herbie. Mm-hmm. Um. And so that that's the setup of the of the the strip. My way of describing what it's like to read it mm-hmm. is imagine 1950s Superboy comics as written by the writers of Saturday Night Live on an off day. <laughs> wow. So so like there's this very strange collision of very uh strict conformity mm-hmm. and and straight laced um, attitude towards life mm-hmm. mixed with complete non sequitur wackiness mm-hmm. and repeated punchlines and catchphrases that aren't actually funny <laughs> and and are supposed to become funny through repetition but like never do right um and Totally out there pop culture references hmm. that date badly, but then when you read them now, like 40, 50 years later, mm-hmm. um, almost seem charming in retrospect. Right. Uh, it's the weirdest comic, Jeff. It is the <laughs> oddest thing. I have read three hardcover collections of this series. Wow. And I still don't know if I like it. <laughs> uh, I can tell you this much. When I started, I hated it. Mm-hmm. I, I vehemently, vehemently disliked it. Um, in large part because, especially the initial stories, really do just lean so heavily on a formula that is weak to begin with. Mm-hmm. To the point where all of the stories start with the father braiding the, the Herbie. Right. Herbie going off and doing something amazing. Mm-hmm. And then coming home and his father braids him. And that was it. And they're like, they're eight-page stories. You know, so you're like, oh my god, I'd literally read the same story over and over and over again. Over and over again, yeah, yeah. Uh, and because everything's a punchline, it's like his dad's always like, you're a little fat nothing. And when Herbie meets, he's he's always sucking lollipops, I should say that. Right. And many of his lollipops have magical powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when he sees something, someone that he doesn't like, he'll go, I'll bop you with this year lollipop. 
And all of these lines are repeated in every story. With, with, not even little, with no variation. Wow. Um, that it becomes, at first, just frustrating. <laughs> That's a free, really, like, incredibly frustrating and upsetting experience. <laughs> like, it's go, like Groundhog Day for a comic, do you know what I mean? Like, right. I'm literally reading the same story over and over and over again. And then after a while, Stockholm Syndrome sets in, and you're like, it's almost hypnotic. <laughs> See, that's it's so funny. I'm sort of like, so you're saying it's like Jonathan Hickman's Avengers New Avengers, except ostensibly as a fifties comedy kids comic, so like if Jonathan Hickman were writing Little Lulu, maybe he would uh, this is what you'd end up with. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I just and also here's what it looks like as well. Did you ever read the Gold Key Star Trek comics? Yes. Imagine that aesthetic. That's it. Wow. Really? Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure. Cause it's, I've seen, I, you know, the thing is, is like, Herbie is so n- nearly completely forgotten, but I remember back in the eighties where he was still a little bit of a, I'm sure there was some sort of ironic comic cult figure. You yeah. Know? Yeah, exactly. Like Lulu became. Yeah. Like little Lulu became. Yeah. Yeah. Although, although little Lulu is, is a little less ironic, it sounds like. But I seem to recall even Alan Moore back in the days where he like had hit it big in American comics and was like basically talking about all of his plans of everything that he wanted to write. I remember him very specifically saying, he's like, I want to write Herbie and I'm going to do the Fat Fury oh, story I, and all Fat yeah. Fury stories. I totally believe that he wants to write Herbie. Mm-hmm. I can, 100% see Alan Moore thinking that this is a groundbreaking satirical comic. <laughs> it is. Well, no, because the... We've talked before about Alan Moore's comedy comics. Yeah, yes, yes, we have. And it's it's very much in, in line with those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That just the appearance of a famous figure is mm-hmm. inherently satirical. Mm-hmm. Like that, that really lazy satire. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's fuels Herbie. Hmm. So, like, the joke will be that JFK will show up, but JFK won't do anything. Right. You know, JFK will be like, hey, Herbie, why don't you go and do this? Mm-hmm. And, like, that's not a joke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no there's no joke there. You're literally just using his likeness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can tell from the story that it's meant to be funny because mm-hmm. the joke is that Herbie himself is such a ridiculous character that JFK interacting with him is inherently funny. And that's, that's the, that's the logic of the series. Hmm. So, you, you know, JFK meets Khrushchev. Again, there's no joke. I mean, there's probably a joke like, in Russia, you know, it is cold. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. But right. the joke is, it's Khrushchev, everyone. Right. And he's talking to our character. Mm-hmm. Fat. Do you get it? <laughs> um, so, uh, so that's, but Moore, like a lot of Moore satire, I think is really similar. Mm-hmm. Except Moore leans towards more towards the Mad Magazine format, where yes. like he's Khrushchev, but he'd give him a funny name, right? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He'd be called Boris Khrushchev, right? Khrushchev of off or something like that. <laughs> um, but but it's the same like the. The recognition alone 
mm-hmm. is worth using that character or right. worth using that person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I am 100% uh, believing that Alan Moore is like, of course, <laughs> I, can't wait, I can't wait to write Terby. Right, right. Um, but it's just, it's so strange because on the one hand, like it, it, it is amazingly banal. But the the fantastical elements mm-hmm. are are fascinating if used in like the dullest of ways. <laughs> so, for example, he he can just and part of it is uh, the structure of the 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 mythology works mm-hmm. against really taking advantage of the fantastic because mm-hmm. the joke is nothing like Herbie is surprised by nothing. Herbie right. is astonishingly literal and can do anything just because he doesn't think he can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have, I should, you know, I should find out what's going on with Godlocks and Three Bears. I'll just step into this giant fairy tale storybook and wander through the fairy tales. And there's there's a lot of potential there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the set like the setup of Herbie means you can't really take advantage of it because right. he's not going to react to any of these characters. Hmm. Do you know what I mean like he's his reactions are by the basis of the character limited? So, just, so just out of curiosity, do you have a sense of if pressed, would you would you um, what would you say is the point? I mean, you know, is it just that someone is kind of like? Oh, people like random shit, and random shit's funny, you know. Or it. No, I, hearing I you describe it. I, I think there's an appeal here of it being subversive. Mm-hmm. Um, because you could definitely do a subversive reading of it, which is this character that no one believes is capable of anything. He is literally referred to as a lit- like a fat nothing mm-hmm. repeatedly. Um, it's capable of everything. Mm-hmm. And someone who no one expects anything of is beloved of of you know Jackie Kennedy. Do you know what I mean? Like the of the, mm-hmm. the of the uh, there's a there is value in in that which society does not put value in. Uh, well, but the interesting thing, and it's fascinating because once you said that, I'm like, oh, hey, like <laughs> I don't know if you've you've read a lot of or any, but there's kind of a like, oh, this is a it's a really like it wouldn't surprise me if Daniel Pinkwater had been like a big fan of Herbie because that really does describe a lot of his characters and also kind of a lot of his a lot of his books are very much and usually people are pretty fat in his things too they're usually like fat kids who um are a little bit of schlemiels but their interest in weird or eccentric things allows them access to like a different side of life, but they're actively interested in it. I mean, like they don't, they're not sold as like, I don't know, heroes. They're just sort of everyday kids, but it, mm-hmm. it sounds, but, but Her- Herbie is not actively interested in it. No. Her- and that's Herbie what I find really this, interesting. Right. Herbie does all the stuff. Uh, with with no interest, I mean, there's there's a story in there where he's trying to raise money, mm-hmm. and it's like a it's a half page gag that he goes to the movies 
mm-hmm. and he's watching a Cary Grant and Doris Day film because, again, culture of recognition. You can't just go and, like, in another comic, it'll be, you know, Barry Grant mm-hmm. and Doris May. But no, here it's specifically Cary Grant and Doris Day. And he asks them for donations. And because oh. he's Herbie, they respond. But there's no, like... There's not even a, I'm going to ask these people, they'll be rich. It's literally, I'm in the movies, I'm asking these characters, they give me money, the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no, there's nothing, it's almost as if the the very fact that this surreal thing is happening alone is enough. It's this weirdly understated comic, weirdly understated surreality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. throughout the entire thing. And Her- Herbie actively doesn't respond to any of the strange things as strange. And why do you think that is? I mean, you know... No, Herbie as a character is uh, fascinating in his boredom. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, again, he can do everything. Mm-hmm. It's not... Like, there, there's, a, there's a cover where Herbie is towing a boat, and he's just walking in the air towing this boat. <laughs> and the caption is... Impossible? No, it's Herbie. Mm-hmm. And that's the sum. Like, Herbie can do the impossible. Herbie can do everything. But he has absolutely no interest in the fact that he can do everything or anything for that much. See, and that's the thing that I find is interesting. I guess that's supposed to be the way that they can pitch it as, as a humor book. But I also wonder if there's like a weird – like it, it seems like such a um, – because just hearing it, I'm like, I, I don't know the rest of the context, but if it's from the 50s, part of me is like, I I wonder the extent to which, because I, I knew nothing about the creators, but let's assume that they are like most American men of that age where they either went through the Great Depression, they fought in World War II, you know, or both, you know, or I guess maybe I suppose it's possible that they were like you know kids during world war ii um and then I, you know became I, I don't young think adults so, during the 50s you get you get uh they, they do self-portraits or, or caricatures on themselves uh-huh. and i would bet from looking at them and again you know late 50s early 60s people right. looked old and aspired to look older than they did sure so you can't really tell exactly what age they were yeah but um they both definitely look like at least mid thirties. So it seems to me like it's kind of, and, and who knows? I mean, honestly, I'm not, you know, clearly I'm just going off your description, but it almost sounds like kind of a, a little bit of a poison pen letter to the America's youth of the fifties. You know what I mean? Because it, by contrast, well, it, it isn't, isn't because oh, there's some parking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it isn't, isn't because you've got some. Do, should I stop? Are they being too barking? They're pretty barking. Hang on. Hang on. Okay. I'm closing the door. Are you back? Yes. Okay. And it is much quieter let's, with the door yes. closed. Yeah. Let's let's try that again. Um, it's I I agree with you, but I also disagree with you because. One of again, one of the running jokes for the father is: look at all these other kids; they're great. Why is my child a failure? Right. Hmm. So, like, well, canonizes youth yes. and lauds youth, right? While berating, I guess, a specific type of youth. 
Well, uh, yeah, I mean, well, that could be it. I mean, I sort of half feel that there's that idea of like Herbie is it's it's very much this weird like there's not I don't know. I mean, it, right. Right. It may, it, it just feels like it's like, okay, you're supposed to identify with Herbie, but also not, you know, you're supposed to identify with the idea that his, you know, the feeling that his parent has disdain for him. And in fact, Herbie is a, is a, is a being of limitless potential. But, and this is the thing that I find fascinating is, is like, it's such a unique take to have that character be indifferent to, but yeah, it, intentionally indifferent to everything. Yeah, you know, and and that to me really does think make me feel like well maybe maybe it's something that's covering both sides of the spread, but it really does feel like a you know these fucking kids they literally have the entire world at their fingertips and they and they don't care, you know, they literally couldn't care. They have you know, an abundance that we could only dream of during the thirties. Like we've seen all these things and parts of the world when we went to war and then we come back and we've crafted, you know, cause it's a little bit of the, what, you know, the parent being like kind of annoyed that their children are ungrateful, seemingly so ungrateful for everything that they've done for them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's the, it's the strangest comic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is so, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, I, it's, I, I don't know if I'd even recommend it to you, Jeff. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. I, me, I probably wouldn't recommend you to what I did, which is like burrow through three volumes. Right. Um, at least not until like you read a volume yourself and then was like, Oh, I like this. <laughs> Yes, you have to be uh, very what? careful with your recommendation, with your assignments now, Graham, as you know. Oh, Jeff. Um, <laughs> no, but like, I th- I think I went into it and I was, I, I expected the series to change mm-hmm. and it doesn't. It doesn't. Hmm. The, 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 everything about the, like, it's all there in the first story. Right. And they, then it just continues to be. And they stick to that formula. Right. Which is both laudable and almost depressing, mm-hmm. <laughs> given how limited the formula actually is. Right. Uh, yeah, it's 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 such an odd series. It's such an odd series. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's super weird. Oh, and you know what's funny? Mm-hmm. So I also read another of the books that uh, which re- we people asked us to read. Damn it! You and I was- have to get. Get on the same page as far as a schedule or something like this. Cause yeah. I'm... Well, because because you've not read the other one, have you? And I know you're going to. Uh, yeah. I don't. I didn't. No, I haven't read any of them. I was kind of like, yeah, I, I, you know, I should sit down and plan out a little schedule for our <laughs> reading list. And Graham's like, uh, I read everything twice. So yes, I'm, I'm at the I'm at the mercy of the library, Jeff. When those books come in, I read them. Um, yeah, I read Opus, and I won't talk about it because you should read it. Opus is something that I think you will get infinitely more out of than I did. Is it Barry Windsor Smith or the Penguin from Bloom County? Uh, it is the uh, the manga about the... Oh, uh, yeah. So do Ishii Khan. I actually have that. I ordered that from Amazon and it's been sitting yeah. here for a while and I yeah. haven't... Then, haven't then you yet. should read it for the next episode because it's... 
I, I think you're going to love it. Really? I think you're going to really, really like it. I, I uh, think so too. I, th- I think many of the things that you're going to love about it are the things that <laughs> drove me to distraction reading it. <laughs> ah, that's really funny. That's really funny. Okay, well, I'm, you've, I will make sure that I've read it by next time. It, like I said, it's literally been sitting right here. It is, it is, it is within my grasp as we speak. So there you go. That, that's comics, people. Comics. Um, I, I also mm-hmm. read the first week of Convergence, which I wrote about. Yes. I am secretly hoping the DC of Semi comes to the second week because I liked the first week enough to read more. Wow. Did not expect after reading the Zero issue, which I hated with a passion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a lot to the, the first week, as I said on the on the website, is really much something that you have to switch off your brain to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Because if you're like, wait, I thought all these took place in the same city. No, just don't even go there. It, it will <laughs> it will derail any possibility of oh, enjoyment. That's right, you'd said that. Yeah, uh, in the uh, review, you it's said like they that. They, mm-hmm. they actively contradict each other. Wow, which is weird. Um, it's weird until you start thinking. Wait, is Marie Javins actually working on forty books at the same time? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like then I, I, then I'm willing to cut her some slack. It is weird that like there weren't ground rules set up in advance. Yeah, or that they, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's yeah. they're, they're all in the same city, you guys, so they should all be aware of that. Mm-hmm. And they, we should work out things like: is it day or night when these this happens? Like this mm-hmm. major event that all of you have to portray. You know, think that's basic. You think that's, uh, but it's apparently not. Hmm. Who knows? Um, And other things. I mean, there really is. If you read the question issue and only the question issue, you're like, Gotham is fucked. Like Gotham under a year in the dome, they're all fucked. Like, they're all all the the hospitals are being ransacked, and there's no medicine. Mm-hmm. And then you read the Titans issue, and you actually have a character be like, it was tough for the first few weeks, but then we all came together, crying, that's a thing of the past. <laughs> like, oh my god, why did no, like, I understand the creators didn't talk to each other, because they probably had stupidly tight deadlines to get it done. Right. But I can't believe that an editor wasn't like, those two things are actively in contradiction to each other. Right, right. Like, I should tell one of them to pull back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, apparently, I don't know. Maybe by that point, it's too late. I don't know. I'm fast. I'm also fascinated by the idea of well, convergence. Seemed. What would you say is the percentage of the Dio involvement with convergence? Uh, the main series or the crossovers, or not even crossovers, tie-ins, because they're not crossovers at all. Uh, yeah, I, I would say... The main series, I, mm-hmm. feels very Didio. Right. So, because I'm sometimes wondering, Didio does, um, flip-flop. He does change things, his rules, pretty dramatically at the last minute. And I do wonder if maybe some people were able to make those changes in time and, and others weren't. But he, he literally but, but the, but the, the tie-ins... Mm-hmm. Feel, the Titans feel very much like just all on their own, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for for better or worse. <laughs> like mm-hmm. really, their own thing drastically, right? Which seems like sort of a good. It sounds like you were able to enjoy them in part because of that, right? Yeah. If you if you 
ignore the fact that they're all supposed to be taking place at the same time and are all part of the same event, right? then there's a lot of fun to be found. The question issue is great and really mm-hmm. does just make you think, oh, God, I wish Greg Ruck and Carly Hamner were doing this on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, at least a Quitney's Batgirl. I'm not sure I'd necessarily want a Batgirl monthly, but she is so great at just being like, here is a voice. Mm-hmm. And so quickly that you're like, she like, why is this woman not writing DC's version of Ms. Marvel? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because she's kind of provided a sample of it right here. Really? Wow. Yeah. Um, the Superman title is just beautiful. Lee Weeks art and it is just... Oh, you were saying, just, which I... Yeah. I, I mean, just... it's a, It really is a buy for the art book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's misfires. Like, the Justice League book just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And it's totally going for a tone that just does not get. Hmm. What um, tone is that? Oh, it's going for, like... Fun. Was oh, it supposed to be like, Giffen? Uh, no, Fleming? it's, it's um, no, it's it's the James Robinson team. Oh. But it's but the setup is, hey, it's all these girls on a night out that gets interrupted, <laughs> and it's just like the artist is one hundred percent the wrong artist for it. Mm-hmm. Like if if anyone was like, this is going to be a book that'll appeal to appeal to women, not with this artist, it just won't. Will not. This artist is, it's, and you see this a lot in superhero comics, less or so now, Mm -hmm. but definitely you saw it a lot maybe like five, ten years ago. Yeah. You would have clearly male artists being like, I've been given this scene where women are relaxing or on a night out. I've clearly never seen a woman in real life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Never mind like one at a nightclub. I'll draw in my idea of what she might wear. You know, and you're like, what? What is this? Right. What the hell? And also, like, I'm not sure you have seen a woman because these proportions are nuts. Is it? Is it also the the other thing that I just always found so horrible? Like when someone's butt is talking to someone else's boobs. You know. No, but it is very much. Um, everyone has oddly distended torsos. <laughs> Like the uh, Supergirl in particular is the victim of this. I I think the artist has forgotten that Supergirl is meant to be like sixteen. Oh man! So it's like you know, I'm Supergirl and I'm wearing like a tank top that shows off my midriff, but anything would show off my midriff because my midriff is apparently six feet tall. <laughs> I'm essentially you know? an enormous worm with a human head on the end. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, yeah, the Justice League book is, is just not good. Um, and there's, you know, there's other things, the, uh, what other titles are there in it? There's Nightwing and Oracle, which I think would work fine for people who like those characters and like Gail Simone writing more than I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Harley Quinn book is really odd. It's just very, it's there. It's neither good nor bad. It's, hmm. It just exists. Mm-hmm. Um, the Tompire Atom book is is weird. Hmm. Um and and you can tell Pyre's having fun doing it, and I'm not sure it translates, and I I'm worried that the reason for that is the art, which kills me because it's Steve Yule, whose art I love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think he's just the wrong artist for this book. Because hmm. Pyre Pyre's hook is um basically the Atom has gone mad. Uh and the reason he's gone mad 
spoilers, it revealed at the end of the issue that he wasn't hearing another voice inside his head. The other voice was Ryan Choi, the other Atom, <laughs> who was inside his head. And so, like, there's a wackiness there. Right. But Yoel just doesn't, just doesn't do wacky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, that's kind of a shame. That falls kind of flat. The Batman and Robin issue is, is almost comedically grim. Um, wow. Yeah, it's just terrible. And the, yeah, the, the Flash issue, Speed Force, is, is again just like there. It's, it's neither good nor bad. Hmm. Um, yeah, there, but, but as a whole, as an evocation of the quote pre-Flashpoint universe, it's totally on point. Like, sure, this is what these books felt like, um, and makes me super curious. Like, what does it mean when they do the? I mean, what did they do before that? I think it's the Zero Hour universe, and then they do the Pre-Crisis universe, and then they do the Golden Age or something like that. Like, I, I'm really interested about to see what they do with those books and those characters, because because this first week worked better than it should have. And so well, that's I, amazing. I, which I I'm think much, is, on, yeah. much more on board with this than I should be. Hmm, hmm. Especially because that zero issue was terrible. Right. Um, but, but even the first issue of the main series mm-hmm. is far stronger. Far, <laughs> far stronger. Reads like a different series altogether. Hmm. But again, so the, the zero issue was uh, co-written between Jeff King and Dan Jurgens. Mm-hmm. Um, and the number one is co-written by Jeff King and Scott Lobdell. Hmm. And so with a writer in common between the two comics, you'd think they'd vaguely line up, and mm-hmm. they just do not. They actively contradict again. <sighs> wow. Wow, that is amazing to me. And so things like that are just just weird. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't get why that happened at all. Hmm. So, yeah, there, there, it's... It's going to be, I think, a frustrating and yet rewarding, depending on how much you are of a DC fan. Couple of months, but yeah, a, uh, I, sure. I think, I think I'm, I think I'd be on board. Well, and it's sort of how do I put it? It's kind of that's got to be a relief for DC because I think of you as enough of a, a DC fan that kind of like if they can't rope you in, they're yeah, it's really true. Scary. Like I, I, that was actually my thought with the zero issue when the zero issue turned me off so badly. I was right. like, if I am having such a vehement negative reaction to this, mm-hmm. I think you're in trouble. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no kidding. Jesus. You know, like it's it's fine for me to be like, eh, but if I'm like, this comic is atrocious, <laughs> right? then I think you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I have remarkably little to say about Convergence. I think there's an, that's, that's okay. one or two titles I, I might check out. It. What's that? I didn't think you'd be reading it, to be honest. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I did want to say, this. yes. One of the nice things is you can totally read the crossovers without reading the main, main book. Well, that's great. I mean, I'm glad so like, that there's. So, that. I, so if you're like, I want to read Jeff Parker and Doc Shane are doing Shazam. Exactly. You will have no reason to read the main book. You'll be fine. That is great because I think there might be one other title apart from that that I'm sort of half into and I, which I can't remember, but that is the one that as soon as I saw that, I'm like, yes, on board. Yes, we'll read that. Yes. Um, Parker's also doing a Hawkman. What's I want to say? Tim Truman doing the art? Oh, really? Wow. Remembering? So that could be fun and or just <laughs> such an, an odd thing. Right. You know, well, as someone who fondly remembers 
the Hawk World miniseries, um, and then not so fondly everything that followed it. It's kind of like yeah. huh. it, it's it's Jeff Parker and Tim Truman. Mm-hmm. Wow, and they're they're doing the Shadow War era Hawkman as well. Wow, in fact, you have to read it. It's Shadow War Hawkman meets Commandy. Oh Jesus! What? All right. Well, you had Tim Truman drawing Commandy. Yeah, you're, yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> that that kind of is a uh, Truman drawing Commandy. Wow, wow, that really is such a ay yay ay. Right. Um, Graham McMillan, we're coming up on two hours. We should. Uh, you, you should. You should talk about something super quickly because I, I feel like I just dominated this episode. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, considering we spent like an hour talking about that damn, that damn <laughs> Hickman. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> that damn Hickman. That coming your CBS <laughs> this winter. Exactly. Uh, I have a question for you, then, Jeff Lesser. I've got one thing I want to say before that question. Okay, go. Which is just basically people – I don't think anyone necessarily is going to be tuning in to our podcast to be like, oh, hey, I wonder what they're going to say about dead people. But I really did want to say that um, it was was kind of a – I I think – I was very saddened to hear that Herb Trimpey had passed and I was sort of gratified by how many people were struck by it and just how aware people were by what a contribution that Trimpey had made um, over the years to comics, you know? Um, I, I really, he was, he was such a, um, at, at the at the risk of just you know um, quoting myself, I, I mentioned it once or twice on on Twitter. And one of the things that struck me about Trimpey is he is a dude who reminds me reminded me a lot of Kirby in the sense that um, when I saw his work and I was very young, uh, his his work more or less seized my attention. You know, it's like the stuff that I saw of him when he was drawing Hulk and then later when he goes on to draw stuff in GI Joe, he, his, he has such a style, even though it's, it was Kirby influenced as it was, that was also at the same time, his own style. And so the stuff that he drew to me, to me, it never looked right at first. And then it never looked right any other way, but the way he did it, you know, I have such fond memories of the stuff that he did on Hulk the stuff that he did on uh, Godzilla. One of my favorite issues of Captain America is a fill-in issue, um, probably an inventory story written by uh, uh, Herb, uh, written by Bill Mantlo and drawn by Herb Trimpey, where if I remember correctly, I want to say that Captain America, I think maybe teams up with Batrock the Leaper to fight the Tumbler. Maybe they just fight the Tumbler. And... The, that's a great idea, though. If, if yeah. that's not what the story is, that's a great idea. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's you know I'll, I'll have to send you the issue number thanks to the GIT core stuff. It, it, and it Trimpey just had a wonderful. There was a lot of things he could draw. Seeing him draw Captain America was pretty great because the scenes that he has of them sort of jumping across the city together from fire escape, and at one point he has Cap walking on a wire by standing on the edge of his shield. And so he's sort of like, it's a crazy super circus tight rope act thing. And it's 
on the one hand, it's so kind of ridiculous and it's, it's almost seems like it's making fun of that traditional Marvel way of getting around town by jumping over rooftops and grabbing onto flagpoles and stuff. And yet at the same time, because Trimpy has such a wonderful way with line weight, um, all the characters have a lot of heft, you know, um, Trimpy had worked under ridiculous, ridiculous time constraints in some cases. And, was the first artist who ever like, I literally could recognize shortcuts. You know, he was amazing at having people start talking while the door was opening and covering the majority of their bodies or having someone gesture and saying things so that Trimpy only had to draw a hand. Um, but it was never necessarily done out of laziness, you know? And I also love the fact that he was such a, so deeply rooted in like military tech stuff that he was the perfect choice for GI Joe, but also his Phantom Eagle story line, which uh, the one issue of God, is it fantasy masterpieces? I don't remember if it's that or if it's, it's issue 16 of Marvel's whatever was the Marvel spotlight issue, the issue right before two issues before the guardians of the galaxy debut. Um, he wrote and drew that issue. And that was as a kid, I remember because it, it was a world war one flying ace story, but it has him like blowing up dirigibles and attacking secret bases. And the tech looked weirdly Kirby new, even as it was world war one anachronistic. Um, mm. He just, you know, he did better by us than we did by him in a lot of cases. And by we, I really mean uh, Marvel did it terrible terrible thing in the way that they threw him aside and you know the way that the industry treated him as as an old talent that should have been to put out to pasture when he clearly clearly had such significant chops it was really Mm -hmm. it was a shame Mm -hmm. and also like he was remarkably young when marvel fired him yeah he was 56 years old yeah yeah right you know, by contrast, I think, you know, that's pretty much the age that DiDio is. And I think I want to say Keith Giffen's even older than that. You know, um, in, in a sense, who knows? Trimpy may have gotten another, might have had another decade or so in the industry if he, he hadn't been shouldered out at precisely the time the, the image guys were making their mark at Marvel. And it's amazing. Did you ever see any of the, the I think it's the New Mutants issues or something, where Trimpy's trying to draw like Liefeld? Yeah, I, isn't, is it, it's, for some reason I want to say it's Guardians of the Galaxy. I've definitely seen something where he's trying to draw like Liefeld. And, doing, let's fa- be honest, a very fearful rendition. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's kind of, it, it's fascinating to me because it's really, he's like, okay, I've got to learn this style and... Yeah. You know, it, it, oh, you know what it is? It's um, Fantastic Four Unlimited. Oh, is that what it is? Wow, wow! I wonder if that's on on our disc. We should. I should it's not. Look that. Oh, damn it! Curse you, GIT! <laughs> you embarrassment of riches. Um, exactly. You have everything that we need apart from that. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so that's uh, that's all I wanted to say. Is kind of like I I don't. You know, if we're getting to the point where it's like if, you know, 
where a lot of a lot of the dudes that I grew up with are are probably going to be checking out, and hopefully I won't be modeling for every one of them. But uh, but but Trumpy was one of those guys who who came to mean a lot to me, and he did it kind of the old fashioned way, just by virtue of the strength of his work, you know. Yeah, so, and that always means a lot. To and me. by being consistent, like I think that's how Sal Bashema got really got to me as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I just didn't like his work, and now it's you know, Sal Bashema's Hulk is Sal Bashema's defenders. Yeah, are the yeah. defenders for me? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when exactly. he's not drawing them, and again, mm-hmm. Trimpy did a, a run of defenders. Yeah, but um, but when Sal Bashema wasn't drawing them, it's like that's not really the defenders. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly, exactly. You know, and I I think there are there is a whole generation of artists where merely by dint of showing up month after month Mm -hmm. they define your version of those characters yeah yeah there's that there is that but i have to say that trimpy was a dude who like because there's not a lot of guys who can take a jump from what was i think clearly supposed to be a love of of military vehicles and uh, and probably war comics and somehow someone looking at him being like, okay, great. Now that means you're going to draw at the Hulk, you know, and just the way that he was able to synthesize those influences. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Sal Basima and, and Basima's in that weird, like, like it was comfort food for me. Like, oh, this is, this is incredibly, but I remember being very disturbed by some of Trimpy's Hulk issues, man, especially that issue with the Harpy, you know, so much of it was just, you know, it was Kirby in that sense. It was just, it was played like a little too loud. And I think over years, of course, when he moves on to stuff like GI Joe or whatever, um, you know, some of that stuff gets modulated or smoothed over, but it, it's looking back at everything Trimpy did at Marvel as well. It's kind mm-hmm. of, cause you, like, like you, I think, I think of him as a Hulk artist first and foremost. Yeah. But, like, he did the first G.I. Joe. He did almost all of Shogun Warriors. He did almost all of Godzilla. Oh, yeah, Godzilla. See, that's it. It's Godzilla, Shogun Warriors, which I adored, the Hulk. And then you get to G.I. Joe. And, like, I mean, he was a kind of definitive guy. I mean, admittedly, people very rightfully celebrate Larry Hama and everything that Hama brought and shaped to that. But Trimpy is there as an influence, you know, as a really strong one in those early issues, I think, you know, mm-hmm. he was, he was yeah, definitely no, I, a selling I, point. Yeah. And, and again, Trumpy then did uh, a, a lot of G.I. Joe special missions. And I wouldn't mm-hmm. say he wrote some of G.I. Joe special missions. That would not surprise me. That wouldn't surprise uh, me. But yeah, so, you know, for everyone, like, and I think everyone was like, you know, oh, Trumpy, he did the Hulk. You've got to remember like that stop, like he's, was off the Hulk by the mid seventies, and then yes. he went on to do all these other things mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. are that you don't immediately think of yeah. when you think of Trimpy. But then when you think of those, you think of Trimpy. Do you yes. know what I mean? Like, you think of those, and you're like, "Oh shit!" Of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and he co-created the Shroud with Engelhart because actually Trimpy and Engelhart were doing supervillain team up for a couple of issues there, and that was pretty great. I have to say. That was also yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah, there's just there's so much there and so much to 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 love about Trumpy's work. Apparently, one of the inkers of Captain America's bicentennial battles. Doesn't that make a ton of sense? Yeah, but that also has a lot of inkers. Like Barry Windsor Smith is one of the inkers. Well, yeah, true, but that's in part because Barry Windsor Smith is like, let me at that. <laughs> well, you know? exactly. 
I'm, I'm sure maybe wouldn't, Trimpy wouldn't was the be? same way. What's that? Wouldn't you be? Yeah. Well, no. I mean, I would demolish the work, but that, that's, that's for another time. Anyway, did you have a question that you wanted to ask me before I, before I, I, I did. Yeah. I did. Uh, and it, it's a rounding out question, which is when are we back, Jeff? Are we back next week? What? Graham, no. I, I've honestly, I've honestly lost track of the schedule at this point. Really? Because I, I think, let me see here. I, I think I, I, I really, I, this, this isn't me being cute. I yeah. don't know because with all the, the family and everything in town, I, cause listeners, we recorded the Baxter building you heard this week, two weeks ago. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's been, we've moved a lot of stuff around. We recorded my, my, seven weeks in a row. Yeah. When and we that, next week is Skip like Week. Four. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I'm looking right now. Next week is Skip Week. So we will be back, listeners. That's in right. In two weeks. That's right. In two weeks. Yes. We're here, we're gone, we're here, we're gone. Who can even tell? We will be back yes. in two weeks. That's we right. love you dearly, even though we are abandoning you for a fortnight. It's true, which is going to feel so weird because it really was like just constant nonstop. But you can always look for us at Graham. Uh, you can find us on Tumblr at waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. You can find us on Twitter at at waitwhatpodcast. You can find Jeff on Twitter at at lazybastid, L-A-Z-Y-B-E-S-T-I-D. You can find me on Twitter at at Graham M, G-R-A-E-M-E-M. You can find us on the internet in general at waitwhatpodcast.com. And if you are... So inclined, you can find us and support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash podcast. That's right. We're currently 102 patrons make this whole thing possible and um, and oh so pleasant. We're very, yes. very grateful to you. And I, I both want to make a joke about it and go 102 suckers, but that... <laughs> Like feels a bit too rude because we are genuinely grateful for all. Yeah, that. yeah, Graham. <laughs> Let's curb that in a little bit. Jesus goes right to I, his head. Like get into triple digits, and he's like, "I'm unstoppable." I, I can't. I can't get my head around the fact for triple digits. I, I, know. I cannot. It freaks me out. It's my party, and it freaks me out. <laughs> Is it? It's my party, or it's my scene? Oh, it, I think you're right. Maybe it's my scene. I haven't seen that film in a long time. (laughs) It might be It's My Happening. Oh, maybe it is. That makes even more sense. It's My Happening and it freaks me out. There you go. There we go. uh, For people who don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the character of Z-Man from the film Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. (laughs) (laughs) Which, wonderfully, you just knew, Jeff, as soon as I said it. Even though I got the quote wrong, you knew where I was going. Well, of course. Well, of course, because I think that is that's right up there, like uh, of like all time awesome quotes. So, oh, it's uh, such a great film as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so Graham, I made you do all the heavy lift- lifting. I'll also ask you to sing us out because you're awesome. Okay, then I'm not awesome though. Bye. <laughs> I disagree. So awesome. So awesome. <laughs>